Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. I do want to invite you to turn with the Bible to Esther chapter 4. Thank you, Pam, for offering a perfect summary of what's going on in Esther chapter 4. You ask a, a Bible teacher to give you a setup, and she did a beautiful job, so I appreciate that. And I want to unpack Esther 4 just a little bit. Appreciate the words of that song, don't you? May God give us clean hands and a pure heart. We have so much work to do in this generation, don't we? I really I want to invite us to think about that. Isn't that true? Sometimes we look at the world around us and we think, <laughs> wow, you realize Jesus entrusted all of his work to you and I? What was he thinking? <laughs> he knows that he makes his power available to us. And we have so much work to do in this generation and in this time. And I really believe that's true. Someone read this in our men's group two months ago. I thought I'd share it with you. The light turned yellow just in front of him. He did the right thing. He stopped at the crosswalk, even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating through the intersection. The tailgating woman behind him was furious. She honked her horn, screaming in frustration as she missed her chance to get through the intersection. As she was still in the mid-rant, she heard a tap on her window and looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. The officer ordered her to exit her car with her hands up. She was shocked. The police officer loaded her up in his patrol car and took her to the police station where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a holding cell. After a couple of hours, a policeman approached the cell and opened the door. She was escorted back to the booking desk where the arresting officer was waiting with her personal effects. He said, I'm very sorry for this mistake. You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, giving the guy in front of you rude gestures and yelling at him. I noticed the, what would Jesus do bumper sticker? <laughs> the choose life license plate holder, the follow me to Sunday school bumper sticker, and the chrome-plated fish emblem on the trunk. So naturally, I assumed you had stolen that car. <laughs> so there it is. <laughs> you know, we recently uh, came up with these Meridian Friends Church bumper stickers. And someone suggested we should check your driving record before we had those out. So maybe that's a good idea. I'm not sure. But I think for all of us, we want our message to match our life. We want our life to match our message. Because we believe in faith, as Mordecai said to Esther, who knows but that you may have been called to this situation, this privilege, this circumstance in your life for such a time as this, we have so much good work to do in this world. And isn't it true? 
that putting a bumper sticker on something or saying that we're something is just not going to cut it in this world. People are looking for integrity. People are looking for courage. People are looking for authentic faith. People are looking for those who have something that's genuine and that's real. So I'm having you turn to the book of Esther. She models for us what courageous faith looks like. She models for us, frankly, what to do with our problems. Now, sometimes I think I have big problems in my life until I open the pages of the scripture. Pam described for you what was going on in 470 BC in underneath the, the kingdom of Persia and King Xerxes. God's people have been exiled. They've lost their place of worship, their place of sacrifice, which is dear and sacred to them. And they're a conquered people. They're probably wondering, what's going on? Isn't God in control of the world anymore? How did this possibly happen? Actually, they were carried off by the Babylons and Babylonians, and the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. And they weren't treated well by either one of them, <laughs> for sure. In fact, a plot has been hatched to annihilate all of them. You know, March 11th, 2023 is called Purim on the Jewish calendars. And Purim is the annual celebration of the events that happened in the book of Esther. And so we kind of have good timing here. I picked it because I felt concerned and a burden to challenge our church to fasting during this season leading up to Easter. And many of you know that if you've heard me talk about that. And Esther, of course, called a fast. Now, when Purim happens in Jewish households, and it's happened this way for thousands of years, every time uh, Purim happens, it's a day of celebration because it's celebrating God's salvation of their people. They were rescued, and the main character in this account is Esther. It's God working through Esther's faithfulness. It's the way Esther handled an impossible circumstance, an impossible situation. And by the way, in Jewish households, the tradition was to literally say boo every time Haman's name was read. That's real. Did you know that? <laughs> so Haman, not a scary boo. Uh, don't scare me. A boo. That's how it really is had plotted to kill God's people, but Mordecai found out about it, Esther's cousin, and, and Mordecai let Esther know. But actually at first, Esther's in denial of the problem. I want to share with you three lessons that I think very practically we gain from Esther's good example to us. You know, Paul said in Romans that everything that was written before in the Old Testament is for example, encouragement, and instruction. And Esther is an incredible example, an incredible encouragement, and an incredible instruction to us. And I hope that we can hold on to something from her amazing example. So I'm just going to offer three lessons. And specifically, these, these kind of relate to what do you do with impossible circumstances in life? Here's this dialogue that happens in Esther chapter 4 that Pam read for us earlier in the service. It's cousin Mordecai and cousin Esther. And Actually, when Mordecai warns Esther that he's heard about this plot to kill all of her people, she responds to Mordecai earlier in the chapter and she says, well, what can I do? You know what happens when people enter the king's presence without being invited, and I haven't been invited in 30 days. 
And that actually precedes this very famous statement, but who, and who knows, but that you may have been called to this royal position for such a time as this. That's what precedes it, though. It's actually Esther's comment to Mordecai that she's doubting. She's wondering, well, what can I do? I'm powerless in all of this. Let me offer a first lesson. When we avoid our problems, we also end up avoiding God's best plans for us. With any of my points, I always want to invite you to, to just jot them down or see them and just ask yourself, do you believe that's true? When we dodge problems, when we put our head in the sand and say, well, really, that's not an issue, we're not doing ourselves or anybody else a favor. We're, we're missing out on what God has called us to be about and to do in the world. Maybe you don't like to think about problems this way. We all want to dodge problems. We want to avoid problems. It's not that we go looking for the circumstances that are horrible in our lives, but they have a way of finding us in this world. Have you noticed? Have you noticed this is a cruel place to live sometimes? Unfair, painful, difficult, heavy, and sometimes good people suffer. And this is what's happening in 5th century BC under the rule of King Xerxes. Might sound pretty cool to be a queen of Persia, but consider Xerxes, what he did with the last queen, Vashti. Vashti was ordered to parade herself after seven days of drunkenness with the king's men and to show her beauty to them. Does he sound like a nice guy now? <laughs> she refused to do it, and so he got rid of her as a queen. He let her go as a queen and went searching for another one. This guy's not a really nice guy. But who knows that you may have been put in a situation that's difficult, that's painful, that's confusing, that's impossible for you to deal with on your own, and you may hear God's call, hey, Esther, cousin Mordecai says, you need to do something about this. And her response, well, I don't know. Isn't that like us as a church? The problems in this world feel way too big for us to feel like we could ever be effective. We want to look down and kick the sand and say, shucks, God couldn't use me. Am I right? Instead of being overwhelmed by her problems, Mordecai tells her the truth. God has a plan for your life. God wants you and enables you and will be with you to do something that you cannot do in your own strength. As a first things first, I want to invite you to think about a problem that you would rather avoid in your life. I certainly think about this corporately as a church. I think about this individually for us as well. What is a problem that you would much rather just avoid, right? Are you good at avoiding? Denial's not just a river in Egypt anymore. <laughs> right. We, we all have a tendency to want to put our head in the sand, don't we? 
we, we all want the problems and the hard things that need to be done to be somebody else's job. And the world doesn't allow it. I want you to notice that Jesus didn't approach trouble in the world that way. Remember I talked to you two weeks ago about the temptations of Jesus and his fasting in order to face his problems? What was the problem? Throughout his ministry, he was going to be tempted to take shortcuts and dodge the cross, right? What I pointed out to you in Luke 4 is the very first verse introduces this journey of Jesus going out in the wilderness to be tempted. What I invited you to notice is that Jesus was led by the Spirit to go out into the desert. Have you ever noticed that? It's not that the devil came looking for him, right? It's that Jesus went out there, actually, and this is more in context. It's a showdown of good versus evil, but it's good going after evil, not the other way around. What an interesting thing. What a model, what an example for us that we are called to care about problems in this world. We would rather just blame, wouldn't we? We would rather just say, oh, I'm so thankful I'm not like them. We would rather just huddle in shelter and, and for the life of us to find a place that is free from trouble. Have you been disappointed that that is not the situation inside the church? I mean, the church would be perfect if it wasn't for us people, right? We bring our sinfulness with us. <laughs> we bring our honoriness with us. We bring our quirks with us. We bring our problems with us. But even there is opportunity for growth if we're willing to look at it. Last June, Meridian Friends uh, met with an outside group and went through uh, part of a process called Vision Day. One of the problems with Vision Day is, by nature, we're asking, what is it that we may not be good at? We, we looked at our strengths and our challenges and our opportunities and our threats, and I just want to tell you something. That's uncomfortable. I love my church. I'm so thankful for my church. I, I mean, you are family to me. You realize we, we raised both of our kids here the whole way through. <laughs> You're what we know in terms of family. And, and the family of God, and we couldn't love you anymore. I have to tell you, within my soul, I still feel like there's more for this church to do. I don't think we're done yet. Last week, Meridian Friends celebrated its 60th birthday. How about that? I mean, that is something to celebrate, don't you think? That's something great. That's something wonderful. I'm so grateful for who this church has been to me, and, and so many people who've come before. And at the same time, there's this fine line between contentment and an urgency about what God calls us to do next. Am I right? There's a fine line between those things. And I find myself wanting us to be willing to look at what the needs are around us in our community because the church isn't just us. Am I right? I got to tell you, uh, he doesn't know I'm going to say this, but my friend Tom Vance, he has this life cycles of a church thing that he can put on a napkin or on a whiteboard in about five minutes, and it just blows my socks off. I've seen it a couple of times. 
But it basically just talks about whether or not we recognize or feel that the church is urgent about something. Are we content or are we urgent? And it's just so insightful to me. So I asked him to share that. We're going to have a meeting coming up soon with elders and vision task force and stewards. And please share that. <laughs> because I want us to have a, a common place of moving forward together. Last week, those three teams met as I told you they would. We put, pushed the pause button on some of our initiatives and just spent some time talking together. Pastor Allen sat with us, and many of you were in that room. And, and he, the first thing he said to us was really fatherly. He said, I am so proud of this group because you're doing what families don't do. You're talking about a disagreement among each other. What we like to do instead is just sort of sweep them under the rug, right? <laughs> we don't want to talk about things that are uncomfortable if people disagree, and et cetera, et cetera, and really try to work them out. This is what I notice about Esther. I can't deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. It's too big for me. And do you know how Mordecai responds to that? He says, don't think that just because you're part of the royal family that you will be exempt from this annihilation of your own people. That kind of puts a different context on this beautiful scripture that we might place on the refrigerator. And who knows, but that you may be called to a royal position for such a time as this. It's poetic, it's beautiful, it's a reminder, it's inspiring. God's got a purpose for us, he's got a purpose for our lives. And it was only said because she was scared and because she wanted to run away from what God was calling her to do. She's, she's not exempt from the consequences of doing nothing. It's difficult, isn't it? So we when we avoid our problems, I believe we also avoid God's best plans for our lives. I think of the Apostle Paul, and all through the, his uh, epistles and how he wrote. He never bragged about what his strengths were. He never seemed to be content with, you know, just spreading the gospel to all of Europe. He, he, didn't, he didn't brag about what he had done in his past. He was always just so anxious to give everything for the message to come. He was wanting that everyone would know Christ. And he also didn't ever brag about himself. He said, I'm a sinner, I'm a chief sinner among sinners. I don't deserve what God has done in my life. He says, I'm only strong in my weaknesses, and I'll boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ can be exalted. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to fess up and say where you struggle? What the problems are in your life that are just too much for you to do in your own strength? I, I do know what some of the problems are that some of you are facing, and they're big. The thing I appreciate about Esther is not just that she ends up facing her problems, but it's how she did it. Here's a second lesson I think that we get from her. And again, if you remain silent at this time, right? Once we... Once we're confronted and we recognize there's something to do, here's what she does. And this is a lesson to all of us. 
Esther's life teaches us to ask fellow believers for help. And when we do that, we are honoring God. Where did we ever get the idea that it's shameful to need to ask for help? I love what Esther does. She says, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. She's willing to say, I cannot handle this pressure in my own strength. We're a very private people, aren't we? We, we? we don't want other people to know what we really struggle with. We, but what happens in denial and what happens in isolation? Sin grows. When we're willing to come clean and say, this is where I really struggle, this is where I really need help, that's really the foundation of healing and hope. Addictions multiply. The, the consequences multiply the more and more we deny and the more and more we hide. But healing begins, and something powerful happens when we confess our sin, when we come clean, when we say, I need help, I need hope. I'm convinced that church is not primarily about crowds. Church is more about circles than crowds. It's more about circles than rows, right? Real church is, is about knowing somebody and them knowing you so we can call each other on our stuff right? We, we don't like it, but we sure need it. I've got so many people in this church who've been comfortable enough to me to call me on something. And I've appreciated that very, very much. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Who loves you enough to say you've got some spinach in your teeth? Everybody else knows it. <laughs> I'm telling you because I love you, and it doesn't look very good. <laughs> we all need that, don't we? Don't you long for that, to really be known? Not, not to be known for how you think you want people to see you, but for who you really are. And to be loved anyway. And to be accepted anyway. In our weakness, we're really strong. We all look better when you're just looking at the back of our head in a row. <laughs> but I think real power comes in the Christian life when we face each other. We say, tell me what's going on. How can I pray with you? How can I pray for you? And notice in this case, in Esther's example to us, she asks for help instead of what we like to do, and that is wait for others to notice to help. That's what we like to do. You should know that I'm hurting. If I have to ask you, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> is, is not a very good model for relational health. We're responsible, I think. 
by strong example of Scripture everywhere, to reach out for help, to confess, to ask. We would like our isolation to be somebody else's fault, wouldn't we? I mean, that'd be kind of convenient <laughs> if, if somehow it wasn't my fault. But we must do what we need to do to live in fellowship. Christian life isn't about bragging about how great we are with each other, right? Do you ever get tired of being around somebody that just can't quit talking about themselves? You don't have to look around the room or anything like that. The real fellowship happens when we do something other than that. It's not when we talk about our strengths. It's actually when we're willing to talk about our weaknesses. Real fellowship emerges. I have a friend who leads three different um, 12-step recovery groups. And he talks about how close those people get to each other because it's founded on honesty. It's founded on transparency. It's, it's founded on, I need you and I need your help. I think that's what real church is. I think that's where fellowship thrives. I think that's where the Holy Spirit is pleased is when we humble ourselves with each other. You think, well, God can forgive my sins. I don't need to tell somebody else. It's so humbling, isn't it? To actually look at someone that you appreciate and love and to take the risk and tell them, I need help, right? So humbling. And you've heard me say this before. God isn't out to bruise your ego. He's out to destroy it completely. I believe that's true. A contrite heart, God will not turn away. He works when we are brokenhearted. I felt this pull to call our church to fasting. That's an ancient practice. I mean, I, I can't think of a more biblical practice to accompany prayer, and yet a more neglected practice. I was curious, and I looked around this week at fasting in the New Testament, and it's, it's actually in lots of places. You know it's in the Old Testament, but it's in the New Testament lots of places too. And it was just commonly accepted that that's what believers did. I actually compared it to how many times I saw communion listed in the New Testament. And fasting outweighs communion by a margin of three or four to one. And yet we don't do it. We don't all do it. Someone's called fasting the italics of the Christian life. It just intensifies our prayer life. And so I've offered this challenge starting last Wednesday to pick a time, a day, something to give up, something to fast from. Um, and so many of us have picked Wednesday and many of us picked food. And many of us have picked 6.30 to 7 to be praying specifically for Meridian Friends Church. I'm saying this because I'm confessing that we are not enough to solve our own problems as a church. We're not. And we're not enough in our own strength to go out and do the great commission that Jesus commands us to do. We're just not enough. And I think it's healthy for us and I think it's good for us to find ways of saying that to God with sincerity. We really need your help. I believe the more desperate we get in prayer, the more we're going to change and the more we're going to see God's blessing. 
The third thing she does is just what I'm telling you. A lesson from Esther's life is simply to bring your attention to God's attention. How good are you at asking for prayer? (laughs) Admitting where your needs are. Are there people who really know you? I had a five-year-old really encourage my faith this week. We've been trying to sell our house for five months. Um, Some of you know that part of this backstory. I struck up a friendship with a guy. He has a five-year-old. He has a seven-year-old also. We've just been talking. At this point, this family doesn't have a church home. But I just really struck up a friendship with this guy. We've gotten to a point where we're talking about what's going on in our lives. And he knew about my wife's hip surgery. Um, She's doing remarkably well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for asking about her. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for the meals. Wow. Now, Teresa's not here because she is watching at home. Obviously, she's still recovering. She's only 10 days from her hip surgery the meals. Wow. It would be a different story if I showed up to church alone today and you were aware that for the last 10 days, Teresa's survival was dependent on my cooking. Am I right? (laughs) You can rest assured that she is doing very well because you guys are amazing. I think about my new friend. I'll get to the five-year-old, but I think about my new friend this way. I want this for him. I want him to know a family. I want him to be known and to be loved and, and to have a place to serve. And He can live the Christian life on his own, and I imagine, but he sure doesn't have to. There's so much more in, in, in this ability to be real with each other and, and to share life together the way God wants the church to really be and do. Well, it turns out his five-year-old leads the family prayer at the dinner table. And so he knew, because his dad told him, about Teresa's hip surgery. I had been praying for this guy's wife, and she's been praying for Teresa. And this five-year-old's praying for my wife. It made me so thankful that I was willing to share a need with somebody. That this picture of this five-year-old leading this family in prayer. And he says he, he won't not pray for her. It's, a, it's an important thing to him. Well, I saw him on Thursday, and I got to give him the update that Teresa's doing very well, and we really appreciate his prayer, and we thank you. And it just flashed into my head. Would you have him pray for the sale of my house? <laughs> I mean, I'm preparing a sermon on asking for help. And she said, oh, I know he will. He'll be really excited that you told me this, and and he will pray. You know we got an offer on our house on Saturday, and we accepted it. We've been five months without an acceptable offer on our house. (laughs) Why didn't I have this kid pray five months ago? I don't know. (laughs) 
and I can't wait until I see my friend again. And I think God does stuff like this. You've been praying faithfully with me. We've been praying a lot. <laughs> In the book of John, miracles are called signs and wonders. And I'm praying that this would serve as a wonder in their life and a sign that God cares for us and he listens. And I think those are the kind of blessings we might miss if we're not willing to bring all of the stress and tensions that we have into God's care and attention. <clears throat> I read something this morning and I want to move into a time of reflection and open worship with you from it. It's in 1 Corinthians. And it's Paul telling us that at this point before eternity, we only see as through a glass dimly. Right? That's English version of what he said. It's literally a mirror. We only see dimly. One day we'll see face to face. Um, Teresa and I went to ancient Corinth in 2017 and I took that picture. And the verse is 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. And I just thought about that. In the ancient world, they were actually... Corinth is well known as metal workers. This is from the first century, that, that mirror. It doesn't look like you could see much in that mirror, does it? <laughs> but they were finely polished. But imagine how dim the reflection was from an ancient mirror. And you could only see what you look like through this uh, mirror, if, if you're using a mirror to, to look at yourself. What a difference when you actually look at somebody face to face just reflecting on that this morning one day I think we'll know why it was such a time as this why things were so dark or desperate or painful or impossible but today we don't do we today we don't have that clarity and so instead we're called to have Instead, we're, we're called to respond to real-world problems like Christians, recognizably different from this world. We're called to seek God's grace, and we're called to do that in unity. And I don't, I don't know that fasting's for everybody. And I'm not offended if you don't. I'll give you more information if you want it. You can write it. I didn't tell you to fill out a card today, so please fill out a card if you find that. Let us know you're here, but if you want information about it, if there's something specific you're praying about, please put it there. For now, we're left seeing something very dim and incomplete. But what occurred to me this morning is that Jesus already sees it so clearly. And one day, because of what Christ has done for us in forgiving our sin, he's going to cleanse the church. He's going to fix it all. 
all the splits, all the denominations, all of the anxiety, all of it. He's going to fix it all. And we won't see each other through a dim reflection. We'll see each other through the grace of Jesus. We'll see our challenges. We'll see what he was up to. And I'm so thankful I get to do that with you. I want to invite us to spend some time in reflection, <laughs> in listening for God's voice to us personally and individually. If there is something corporate to say, if there's something for all of us, uh, be obedient and share that with us. This part of the service is not shared online, but you're welcome to use the microphone. Whether we listen in silence or there are those speaking, our goal is simply to hear the voice of Christ. Pray that we can attend to his presence among us.